This is Five on Three, center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to Five on Three, WFUV's NHL podcast for all things hockey. I am Samantha Borer, here today with Tyler Mooney and Colin Lochran. First and foremost, boys, how are you today? I'm doing well. Obviously, uh, difficult night, difficult last few days for the <laughs> Rangers. Not, not the same kind of uh, happiness that I came on last week's episode with, but all things considered, I'm, I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm on the same page as Tyler right now. I'm hanging in there, but a little bit less happy than I might have been had the Blue Shirts been able to pull out a win. But you know what? That's why it's a best of seven series. Still a lot of hockey left to be played. But Sam, I know given your team's results, you're feeling pretty good about that right now. Oh, yeah, I'm feeling great. I mean, I've explained to both of you why for personal reasons I would love for this series to go to seven, not only for personal reasons, also for fan reasons. I mean, I love a good game seven the two best words in hockey next to playoff hockey. So I can't wait for that personally, because I think the Rangers take it to seven on that note. Let's talk about last night's fiasco. I feel like that is the only word I can really use for it. I expected so much more out of the Broadway blue shirts. And last night was just disappointing. I mean, a four, one loss to the Tampa Bay lightning dropping two. We are now tied 2-2 as the Rangers head back to Madison Square Garden for Game 5 tomorrow. Tyler, what happened? Well, they can't score at 5-on-5. <laughs> That's the number one uh, issue. They have not gotten a 5-on-5 goal in, let's see, it's now about seven periods at this point, which is over two games. Not good. You're not going to beat anyone uh, if you can't score at 5-on-5. Five you know, in game three, you're up two nothing. Game three was always going to be tough to win. Tampa, they absolutely put it on Igor Shesterkin. At the end of the day, Rangers probably didn't deserve to win that game. They gave up, I think, 51 shots was the total. So going into game four, I was just really hoping that they were going to have a much better defensive effort because game three, they were generating plenty of chances offensively. Game four, I forget. I don't know the, the exact shot total Tampa ended up with, but I know about halfway through the second period, they only had like, 11, 12 shots. So the Rangers definitely did a better job at limiting the chances for Tampa. It just felt like every grade A scoring chance Tampa got, they scored on. And for the Rangers offensively, that was by far their worst offensive game of this series. And uh, they definitely have a lot of things that they need to fix, Colin. And these injuries to Hito and Strom are, I mean, if the I think they're both game time decisions for game five, but I don't want to say the Rangers season hinges on these guys being healthy, but if they don't have those two, I mean, I'm really struggling to see how they can pull this one out. Yeah. The injuries are huge, especially when you consider, you know, getting those guys back would really help you match lines, especially at home and try and combat what Tampa's throwing at you. I was surprised really by Tampa's performance because they weren't great in game three, but they just looked really solid in game four. And it was strange as well because the Rangers outshot them 35 to 31 Vasilevsky had a great game for here, 34 saves overall. Really, I think it comes down to a combination of factors. You were on the road. You knew it was going to be a dogfight once you went to Florida. What didn't help you were the injuries. Barkley Goodrow is basically Ryan Lindgren 2.0 right now, fighting through God knows what. There's probably a laundry list of injuries right now. And Tampa showed that they're an experienced playoff roster. 
that has been here before. I mean, the first two games, they had 28 giveaways and then 22 giveaways. They cut that down to six giveaways only in game three and only nine in game four. So they're turning over the puck less. They're getting it into the offensive zone more effectively, hence why they're shooting it less as well, because it felt like Tampa controlled the puck much more effectively than it had any other part of the series. And when you do that, you don't necessarily have to pepper Shosturkin with shots. All you have to do is get that one good timing chance under your belt, and you're going to cash in 10 times out of 10. Overall, though, it's, it's really indicative of the fact that the Rangers are young, right? They kind of are going to need that reset button at home to get that momentum back. I think they're the type of club that thrives off of momentum. I think Coach Gallant is the type of coach that also thrives with momentum under his belt in that, you know, when you're working with these young guys, it's very hard to hit that reset button on the road. That's what made the Carolina game, game seven, so impressive in my mind is because, yeah, you had momentum from game six, but you had to do it someplace else. I still like where the Rangers are, given you're coming back to the garden, but you got to respect how Tampa played these last two games. I mean, that top line, Palat, Sorelli, Kucherov, they're playing great. Stamkos is no slouch either still after all these many, many moons. Tampa look good. They're the champs for a reason. They're the two-time defending champs for a reason. Wasn't never going to be easy. We'll have to wait and see what happens in game six and seven, though. And five as well. Ooh, see, I'm already jumping to six <laughs> and seven. It very much feels like it's going six or seven it games. It does feel like it's going seven. I completely agree. I mean, we've been saying in our hockey reporter group chat for weeks now, Rangers in seven, right? And I mean, we none of us wanted to be presumptuous enough to say Rangers in four because I think we knew that that was not going to happen. And lo and behold, it has not. I think that the Rangers last night, it was frustrating to watch because they're getting so clogged up in the neutral zone that that's where all those turnovers are happening. That's where I'm finding they're having a lot of trouble powering through into the offensive zone and then keeping possession of the puck. I was just noticing time and time again, there were these poke checks. There were these passes that were not being completed that I felt should have been and were not. And I guess, like you said, Con, this is indicative of how young of a team this is. I mean, the Lightning are back-to-back Stanley Cup champions for a reason. We knew that this was going to be a really tough matchup, and it's only proving it to be. But the Rangers are a team that thrive on home ice, and it is a very good thing that they have home ice advantage for the rest of this series. I mean, they won't if they make it through to the final because the Avs will have home ice advantage the whole time. But at least for this series, they do, which I think gives them a little bit more hope because they have that energy from MSG, one of the best hockey arenas in the world, one of the best arenas in the world, period. They have that ability to come back and win it on home ice. I guess my question is, with all of these injuries, with all of these problems happening in these little areas for this team, is it going to be enough to be able to be the power play goal team of the year? They have a great power play percentage, but is that going to be enough to get them through this series and into the next round? Or what are they going to have to mainly focus on next time? Because I feel like if you start switching up everything at once, if you pull a crazy move, you change all the lines, you change all the tactics, they're never going to, I don't think they're ever going to put Gorgiev in for Shesterkin. I think that that is absolutely impossible. Won't change that because Shesterkin's still doing his, his best for lack of a better term. He's, doing his best for being just a little dude, but (laughs) I mean, what is the main thing you think that Gerard Gallant has to look at and say, okay, 
we need to fix this. Colin, do you have any advice for Mr. Gallant? So I was reading an article about this exact little conundrum they're having right now. The Goodrow injury is huge because it really ruins your ability to play that kid line as much as you'd like, because then you feel like you have to give them a little bit of rest instead of really running them out there, running them ragged. Whereas if you had Goodrow in there, you feel a little bit more confident about that fourth line. With that being said, it's time to take the training wheels off. I think there was some statistic that the third and fourth line kind of played the same amount of time, roughly. In my mind, that can't happen. You have to put your money where your mouth is in some respects and run with the guys who got you there. Now, I'm not saying the kids have been solely responsible for the Rangers' success this year. Obviously, the top dogs are still very much a part of this team, but given everything, it's put up or shut up time. When you're in game five at home, there might not be a better situation to play the young kids because they're going to be thriving off that energy, maybe even more so than a guy like Kreider. He's been here before. He's seen about all you can see in the NHL. The kids haven't. Let them experience that kind of tension. Put a little bit of pressure on them. Pressure forms diamonds. That would be my two cents here is play the kids, see what you get. It can't be much worse than what you put out there in game four. I love that saying, Colin. Pressure makes diamonds. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. I saw um, this kind of theme being brought up even before last game. You know, the kid line has been feasting on these bottom pairings of the Tampa defense. So why not play them more? Either you're going to continue to get these advantageous matchups or you force John Cooper to p- deploy that top pairing against these guys. And in turn, that frees up your Zibanejad and your Kreider. That's something that Gerard Gallant can especially do now that they have last change at MSG for two of the next three games. But again, I think a lot is going to depend on the, the, the status of Hedl and Strom. I mean, those are two of your top three centers. If a combination of both or only one of those guys can't go, the lines are going to be totally jumbled up. I think it would be interesting to see a guy like Julian Goche inserted into the lineup, you know, when you're looking at this team that has not scored a five on five goal in two games now, not coming on here and saying Gauthier is an offensive savant, but I feels like once a game, when he plays, he's able to either generate a breakaway or that patented, you know, power move to the net. And at this point, the Rangers just need guys to create things five on five. I wonder if inserting a guy like that into the fourth or the third line to replace a guy, maybe like a Ryan Reeves would do more because at the end of the day, Reeves, love him, great team guy. He definitely was helping them out in the physicality aspect in the Carolina series. But for lack of a better term, he's provided them nothing in this series. Tampa has plenty of size and, and toughness to match up against him. And he really hasn't provided anything offensively whatsoever. I think if you're Gerard Gallant, you need to try and shake things up a little bit, whether that's maybe, you know, stacking things in the top two lines like he did last game, putting Panarin and Zibanejad in the same line, or maybe it's inserting a guy like Gauthier. But whatever it is, something does need to change. I don't think that they can continue to roll the lines they've been rolling, especially when you consider the injuries. They're not going to be able to consider the injuries. Yeah, absolutely. Injury have Injuries have plagued this team. Goudreau, Heedle, at this point, they are just walking corpses. I saw some tweet that was like, you could have Heedle in in the ground and Gallant would still be saying he's a game time decision, which that, <laughs> that tweet made me laugh heavily. 
Um, cause it's true. It seems like everyone's like game time decision at this point, but I guess my question is so you talk about maybe taking out Ryan Reeves and you're talking about, they don't need, he hasn't generated much offensively. Do you think it's then going to be a problem with that physicality as the lighting are a big physical team? They have those presents. They have the Kucherovs, the Stamkoses of the world to be there for them that way. Do you think that then the Rangers will be able to match up in that heavy physical presence without him? Or do you think they're fine? Because as we saw, Frank Petrano took one for the team last game and got into it. If you haven't watched that video of that fight, everyone, go to Twitter and find it because that was 24 seconds of some really entertaining stuff on the ice. So do you think that's going to be something that then hurts them? Or do you think it'll be enough that they need that offensive power more than they do the physical aspect of that game? Say it comes up in game five. Yeah, I think they're going to need the offense more than the physical component. And to your point about injuries, I feel like this is more of a culture thing in the NHL than anything else is that everyone's going to be a game time decision until they literally can't play. And we're talking about, you know, line numbers is first line, second line at this point in the year, maybe it's a little foolhardy for us to do. So the line numbers go out the window. It's just a matter of who can you get on the ice? And if you have home ice, who can you match up to give you the best chance to win? And with that, that's precisely why I think the offense is going to be more important because of the type of hockey Tampa wants to play. Yes, they're good on the forecheck, but I said this in the beginning of the series, they're tired. Now, I know they had that long rest, but what I meant by that is they're exhausted from winning two cups. That's very possible, especially when you have guys that are getting up there in age. I see it even in their defensive pairings. McDonough is a step slower than he might have been at any point last year or the year prior. It's the same thing with Stamkos. Even when he's doing all these great things, you can tell it's just a tad off. Trust me, I'm, as you guys know, a Boston Bruins fan. I know a thing or two about aging stars. I know kind of what that looks like towards the end. I see it with Tampa very clearly. They might pull out this series, but it's not going to be pretty. And you're starting to see the fatigue, the wear and tear, and that's precisely why you need that offensive firepower for the Rangers. It's why you might get creative and throw a guy like Panarin in with Zivanejad, see what you can get cooking there, because at the end of the day, you might get that spacing. It was very prevalent in games one and two that you had a lot of space to work with. And when you get that space, you're lethal. So in my mind, do not even try and get into a hissing match with the lightning play with space bank on yourselves offensively to get the job done. It's what's gotten here in the first place. You were deadly on the power play. You had a couple of breaks to go your way on the five on five. You should be looking good. Yeah. They were generating so much offense off the rush in games one and two, you know, the Kreider goal early in game one, Zibanejad scored in game two, and they were just generating a lot of chances and it became the complete opposite in Tampa Bay. So I 100% agree, Colin, that it's got to be offense at this point. Another guy who I completely, we all forgot about uh, Sammy Blay is now skating in a regular Jersey. I don't know if that's possible for him to come back. I mean, six months after an ACL surgery is that's incredible if he were able to come back I'm not expecting that but who knows maybe if this goes seven we see Sammy Blay um but yeah New York they need to they need to prioritize offense at this point I I think unfortunately guys like Reeves he's played a great role for this team and he's definitely played a niche role but I agree Colin you can't get back and forth you know in a hissing match like you said with Tampa Bay it's got to be they got to focus on getting this offensive game going and We'll see if they can. This team has put on a Jekyll and Hyde act all playoffs. So getting back to the garden could be exactly what they need. 
I completely agree. I think that in my, my two cents also Rangers have got to stay out of the penalty box last night. It seemed like every three minutes, the whistle was being blown. It seemed like there was just penalty after penalty. And I mean, as we know, Rangers are great on the power play. They have the highest power play scoring percentage, I think in the playoffs so far, but that cannot be enough to carry you through game seven. You have to get through on the five on five, like you were saying, brief diversion from our scheduled topics. Call you talked about injuries being hidden or being game time decisions the whole time. I have noticed throughout these playoffs, just a thing is as soon as the series are over, obviously they're not going to announce all the injuries during the series, but these players are playing through some injuries that I am like, holy Christmas nuts. That must be so painful. Of course, every injury is painful, but like after the Calgary series was over, it was announced Nikita Zadorov had cracked ribs, Leon Dreisaitl playing on his ankle. Like personally, I am just baffled at uh, the things that these players are playing through in this series, but you know what? It's the cup. Anything for the cup. Yeah, it's definitely the culture of the NHL right now. I'm pretty sure it's always been this way. It's very different from a sport like basketball or baseball where the injuries are very public. And really those are sports where the public eye gets a little bit critical because of how open the players are with their injuries. Whereas hockey, you won't know until everything is set and done. Now I'm actually a proponent of maybe being a little bit more open with the injuries because who's really going to blame a guy for not taking the ice when his ribs are cracked? I know I wouldn't. I, if I had known that Brad Marchand is struggling like he is with the hips, I would have been like, oh, sit down. Like You're <laughs> going to need to come back for the next couple of years. So I think maybe that's a cultural thing that might have to change within the sport. I think it could happen, especially with the transition to spacing. I know we talked about that a little bit on last week's show. I, I think that's where it's going, where it's going to be all offense at a certain point. It might revert back to the old school mentality eventually, but not before taking that that sharp left turn I think that'll ultimately help the sport maybe be more open with injuries and keeping these guys healthy and on the ice that way the fans get the best product yeah they, I mean players play through injuries it's been it's always crazy in hockey I, I real quick I remember when the Flyers were I don't know if it was when they were in the bubble or if it was like the time they made the playoffs before that but Ivan Provorov he played through like an insane like his shoulder was like completely separated basically yeah. and he played through it and he said something along the lines afterward, like when the season was over, like, unless my arm literally fell off, I was still going to play, which I mean, that doesn't show you the mentality of what these guys are going through. Nothing will. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a very interesting culture of hockey and of sports in general, but I think especially of hockey, things are a little more secretive, but weird transition. Someone who was injured, but it did not matter. Nazem Kadri, we all saw that boarding call against Evander Kane. I saw a bunch of memes on Twitter saying Evander Kane is out for the rest of the playoffs. Just kidding. He's only out for one game, but it didn't matter because they ended up being synonymous. The Colorado Avalanche sweep the Edmonton Oilers, winning the series 4-0 and heading on to the Stanley Cup final for the first time in 21 years. If you cannot tell by the sound of my voice, I am smiling because as we all know, that is my hometown team and I hometown team and I am just pumped. I thought that that was a dirty series, a very, very messy couple of wins there for the Avs. But a win is a win. Did I think it would end in four? Absolutely not. Am I thrilled that it did? Sure. I personally, very excited. I think that this series was just insane. I'm sorry, for lack of a better word, it was insane. Colin, 
how do you how did you feel about this about seeing them literally sweep Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, two of the best players in the league? Did you think that was going to happen? Did you see it being a closer series? What were your thoughts post this series? Because I know I had many of them. My initial thoughts were: I really hope the Abs get solid goaltending in the Cup final. That was my initial thought because they're too talented to lose in that final round because if they don't have Kemper, they might be in a world of trouble, nothing against Francois, but he's not the same thing as having Kemper in net in my mind. Now I know abs fans, they like Frankie. They had the whole chant going and I believe it was game two or three, something like, I think it was game two where he had to take over there, but that, that could be the one thing that could hurt them in the final because they might, depending on who they go up against, really. I mean, if it's against the lightning, and they might be able to overcome it. I could see Franco doing a better job against the Lightning than I could against the Rangers. If Franco has to play a full series. Now, I know Kemper was on the bench for game four. Correct me if I'm wrong. So he mm-hmm. should be back in theory. But if Frankie's got to go up against the Rangers, I'm sorry. New York might be able to pull away in that one because they're so lethal on the power play. The minute they get an advantage, they'll be lining it up. With that being said, there were a lot of things to like about this series. I had questions about Colorado's ability to stay tough. I knew they were talented offensively. I just didn't know how they'd hold up on the four check. I was wrong. They handled Edmonton better than I thought they were going to handle them. I thought five, six games. I didn't think it would go seven because I think Edmonton's in that phase now where it's a little bit of a transition, right? You kind of know what they are offensively. They're also trying to figure out some form of a defensive identity. That The whole Duncan Keith thing in the beginning of the season is – part of what makes me scratch my head when it comes to the Oilers but overall congratulations to Colorado it's well deserved very talented group McKinnon Marcar you can't say enough nice things about the season Lincoln and Akadri have had so they should they're going to be a threat I like them to win as long as Kemper is there yeah the goaltending is going to be key for them I mean all season long even going into this year everyone said Colorado this is the favorite in the west and rightly so and I, yeah, I definitely did not see them get, being able to sweep Edmonton. I mean, that says so much about the character of this team, especially that game four. You're down two goals multiple times in the third period. If you lose the game, it literally doesn't matter. You're going to win the series. You're up 3-0. But to see them fight back and win that game in overtime, that I think that says so much about this team, especially when you consider they were already missing Kadri. Cogliano got hurt in that game. You're down a couple forwards. To see them really fight back and overcome the goaltending that was not really helping them out in that game, that was absolutely incredible. And Colorado swept a series where they gave up five-plus goals twice. I have no idea what the stats are in front of me, but I would take a gander. That's probably the first time that's happened in NHL history. Maybe something crazy in, like, the 70s or 80s, but definitely in the modern salary cap era, that's definitely the first time that that's happened. So looking ahead to the finals, they – yeah, they have to solidify it on the back end, whether it's Francis or Kemper. Because, you know, Kemper, I think he's definitely better than Frankie, but he hasn't been incredible in these playoffs either. He's, I think if you, if you looked, uh, I saw Jay Fresh on Twitter was posting charts of like the goals saved above expected for the four remaining conference finals teams. And Colorado was solidly in fourth place. Like mm-hmm. they, it wasn't even close. So if you're going up against a team like the Rangers and, the Lightning, who they can score goals like the Oilers, 
but they also have way better defense and way better goaltending than Edmonton. You're not going to give up five goals to the Rangers, or the lightning and win. It's just, it's not going to happen. So I think Colorado is going to need to focus on the defensive side more because the goals will come with an offense that talented. And it'll be interesting to see how they handle this layoff. We saw how obviously Tampa Bay struggled in the first few games versus the Rangers. Now they've started to pick it up, but I think what, 12 days in between mm-hmm. games, but that'll be good. It'll get them time to heal up. Kadri got surgery. He's suggesting he's going to be back. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see about that, but 12 days definitely helps that. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to, I was going to mention that um, for all the, the folks at home who didn't see it, there was like a, an Instagram post made that was like Nazem Kadri out for the rest of the playoffs. He had surgery on his broken thumb that was broken in that boarding incident with Evander Kane. And Nazem Kadri commented on the Instagram post to say, we'll see about that. So we will see if he's back. Personally, I really don't think so. Um, Slash, I don't think that's an injury he should risk if it's his thumb. You have to be able to hold a stick. And the fact that he has a number of great years left in his career, I don't really know if I'd want him to come back, maybe injure it again, injure himself worse and be there, or to not be his full strength of who he can be, be in the Stanley cup final and be a contributing factor to what could be a big loss. If he's not at the top of his game, I think so far the abs have done a fine enough job compensating for his absence. But like you said, I think goaltending is going to be the biggest problem. I think Frankie is a good backup. I think that Darcy and Frankie are a good tandem pair, but good is not going to be good enough when you're going against the Rangers or the lightning. I completely agree with that. I think I, what I will say is that I do think Colorado's defense is rather strong. I mean, we saw kale up against McDavid. We saw all of that, but their actual defensive skill was strong enough in front of the goalie, but there is no way, like you said, you can give up five goals a game and win in the Stanley cup final or sweep. The fact that that happened, I was floored personally, that happened twice. Absolutely floored. I guess on that, what, what do you want to see in the final? I mean, obviously we're, we're Ranger supporters in this household. Well, maybe not Colin, but (laughs) we're, we are secondary Ranger supporters in this household. Tyler being a primary Ranger supporter. What's going to make the more interesting series? I don't know. Obviously I want Rangers abs because fun. And then I get to go to a parade either way, but in terms of quality of playing in terms of action on the ice, I don't know, Tyler opinion, or are you biased? I mean, obviously I biased <laughs> with the Rangers, but I think, I mean, either series provides incredible storylines. If it's the Rangers, you got a Fox versus Makar, which would be incredible. You got these young kids who no one really expected them to be here versus the guys who everyone expected them to be there. McKinnon and Panarin. I mean, New York and Colorado, two great fan bases. And on the other hand, if it's the Lightning, you got the team who, like I said, everyone expected to be there in the Avalanche versus the defending champs. Who's going to knock them off? If anyone can knock them off, it can be Colorado. So I think either series would be incredible to watch. Yeah, I'm biased as well, being from New York. Uh it's got to be the Rangers. It's such a better series. It's expectations <laughs> versus reality on both ends. I mean, look at what the expectations were for the Rangers versus what they were for the Avalanche. And the reality has been very much the same thing. You're both in the conference final. You're both 
going to be hypothetically four wins away from winning a Stanley Cup, the first in quite some time for both franchises, the storyline is there. And I just think it would be a great final seven games potentially for hockey fans everywhere. And this is not to knock the lightning, of course. What they've done has been very impressive. I, On day one of five on three this year, I think I praise John Cooper for the job that he's done because I often think he gets underrated or undervalued because he has so much talent around him. No, it takes more in some ways to have those guys stay on the same page because of how talented they are. Like I always say this in basketball, whoever coaches the team that LeBron James is on is automatically worth respect. They do a good job. Like someone like Ty Lue deserves the utmost respect for keeping those personalities in check in that way, especially in the Cleveland days. So John Cooper, very much the same thing deserves that respect for keeping all the personalities in that locker room in check takes a lot to win two cups with that though. There's always that moment where David finally beats Goliath could be the Rangers year. And then you get another one of those types of matchups with Colorado and New York. That would be really fun in my mind. I completely agree. I think something that would be interesting for me in this hypothetical Rangers abs final we're talking about is the Rangers have played incredibly when their backs are up against the wall, when they are down three, one in a series and they somehow battle back to win it in seven, as they've done now multiple times. What has been interesting for me is watching them go up to and wonder, are they getting comfortable? Are they not? And I would be afraid that something like that would happen to the avalanche. Obviously there's a lot of expectations around this team from day one. People have been saying, this is our year to win the cup. If we're going to win it, it's this year. I think I would be afraid for the avalanche in the final because the Rangers, like everyone's been saying, are playing with house money. At this point, it's we didn't think we'd make it this far. Who the heck cares what happens now? Like, cool, we've made it here. The Avs, I think, on the other hand, because there's so much expectation on this team, I wonder if it would become a crumbling under pressure scenario or if it's pressure makes diamonds. You know, the Rangers have nothing to lose, essentially. Like, they shouldn't be here. They absolutely should not be here. The Avs, by all measurable standards, should. So I would be intrigued to watch that in a final. But we will see. We have the next game for the Rangers tomorrow at 8 p.m. in Madison Square Garden. Yes. 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 6 p.m. Mountain Time. I will be tuning in, and I will be hoping for a win for the Rangers on home ice. Hopefully this series goes to seven because – would love for the Rangers to win it at home. Before we go, let us talk about the tragedy that has struck in the hockey community, the firing of Bruins coach, Mr. Cassidy. Colin is rubbing his forehead. He is upset. Hit us with your initial thoughts, Mr. Loughran. Why? That, <laughs> and anything the Bruins do now, my initial thought is why, because it almost always makes no sense whatsoever. The team is aging. We all knew this. I was all for going all in last season. You did that, right? The thought would be, let's wait and see if Bergeron comes back before we do anything rash. Now, you kind of might have expedited that process by getting rid of the coach that he liked working with. I have no idea why you'd fire Cassidy if you had any clue that Bergeron might return. In my mind, the fact that he hasn't said he's retiring yet means he's at least considering coming back at some point next season. And with the emergence of Swayman as a must-see guy between the pipes, I would not have made this move. I know people have been critical of Cassidy. I know the success 
hasn't been there in terms of cups. But at the end of the day, the guy has gotten into the playoffs. He's given you a chance to win in the tournament. That's half of the battle. You probably should have beat Carolina in the first round. You had a whole lot of momentum after a game six win in Boston Garden. Then you went to Raleigh and you got defeated. It was what it was. You weren't looking too bad next year long-term. Now, those first couple of months are going to be awful because you're going to be missing McAvoy. He's injured. Grizzlick might not be back on that front. Bergeron might retire. And then Marshan's having the, the, two, the two hip surgeries. So I, I just don't understand what the direction of the franchise is at this juncture because you have a lot of different pieces going on right now, especially when you have such a young guy in net. Like the only two pieces right now that are marketable going forward are Swayman and McAvoy because we don't know what Brad's going to look like after this surgery. Now, I think he's going to be okay. Is he going to be what he was? Probably not. Unfortunately, you're missing a big time goal scorer there. If Bergeron goes, you just missed a top six center or a top four center, excuse me. So it's, it's just not a good situation. The only way that this makes sense is if you're going to hire a coach that's just as experienced as Cassidy was and is used to working with those personalities like a John Cooper, like someone like a trots is really the only good solution here. If you're intent on competing next year. If the idea now is that we're going to tank, yeah, then this makes sense. Start from square one. Then you're assuming Bergeron's gone. You're assuming that Marshan's going to be horrible when he comes back. You're assuming that McAvoy's not going to be your number one defensive choice there. You're going to have to pair him with someone else down the road. I just don't know what the front office thinks at this point. I know what fans think, and we just wanted one more run. We almost got that this year. So it remains to be seen what happens in Boston, but I'm not happy today with that choice. Yeah, I was shocked to see this firing. I mean, for the Bruins, and, and you want to talk the direction of that franchise, a rebuild is coming. It's been coming. You know, if you look at the roster and the age of the roster, it's a really old team. But Bruce Cassidy, at least from my perspective, did not seem like he was the issue. He seemed like he could be a guy that you could, you know, continue to apply as your coach throughout a rebuild. And you mentioned, you know, do you go for one more run or do you just tear it down now? That's obviously the big decision that the Bruins are going to have to come to terms with in this offseason. And if they do say, you know, let's tear it down. Looking back to this past season, why did you give up a haul for Hampus Lindholm then? If you were going to tear it down after not even winning a playoff series, Has, have things really changed that much in the past three months that you went from giving up, I don't know if it was, I think it might've been multiple first round picks and other picks as well for a defenseman that you've now locked up for four or five more years to suddenly you're now staring a rebuild down the barrel. What are you going to do with David Pasternak? I've seen people floating around that they might try and trade him. I think that would be the worst move ever. He's only 26. You can go through a rebuild and come out of it and he'll still be hoping it's a rebuild like the Rangers did. He'll still be, you know, 30, 31 years old he can still be an extremely productive player. So I think it would be a massive mistake for the Bruins to move on from him. But other than that, you know, the Bergeron contract, we'll obviously see what happens with that. They have a ton of expiring contracts next or next year and the injuries that they're going to have to go through at least the start of the year. It's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. And I think it'll be even more interesting is say we get to December, January next year. And this team has just come out of the gates with absolutely nothing. And they're nowhere near a playoff spot, which, looking at these injuries that they're facing, it could be a possibility and we'll see who they hire. But 
I agree with what you said, Colin. If you don't bring in a guy like Barry Trotz, I'm not really sure what the goal of this was. Yeah, I agree. I think that I, like you both said, was shocked by this firing, especially because Cassidy led the Bruins to at least some kind of playoff postseason run in all of his seasons in Boston. He is the latest coach added to the list of many NHL coaches fired this year, which includes, but is not limited to, Vigneault, Trotz, Cassidy, Julian, Tortorella, Maurice, DeBear, Tauche, Bounis, and David Quinn. There are, that's like 10 coaches on that list who are now available in the postseason. The teams with current vacancies are the Bruins, the Stars, the Red Wings, the Flyers, Vegas, and the Winnipeg Jets. That is a lot that is going to be changing in this postseason, in this offseason. I don't know where I'd place a lot of these guys. Do any of you have any very strong things? Obviously, besides you said about trots, maybe going to the Bruins, which I would be very intrigued by that, about where you think any of these people are going to head, what you think they need. I don't know, because I personally look at this list and I go, it is a crapshoot at this point. I think that what's interesting is I think I saw it was the Bruins who said they don't want to pull someone from the, like, quote, NHL roulette, like, like pool of coaches. It was some team that said that I'm pretty sure it was the Bruins that said they didn't want to pull from there, which I think is fascinating. I think the Islanders went a little too quickly in hiring their assistant coach. And now they could have pulled from some serious talent here. I don't know. Thoughts, opinions, feelings strongly from either of you. This is a hot take, but I could see it happening. David Quinn could go to the Bruins. Hmm. I could really see it happening. He has the experience in the New England area. Boston has tried to do this kind of half Euro, half college experiment in terms of roster construction. I could see them going one way completely and just getting a guy like Quinn to maybe change the culture up a little bit. I don't think that's the right choice at all. But given what I know right now, which is admittedly not much, because we don't really know the direction, but given what we do know, it seems like at least a possibility, an outside chance of it happening. So that, that's one that I can definitely see working that way. The other one is maybe Vigneault to the Red Wings would be my other thought. I think that might be a good fit because they're kind of on the come up. And when you're like that, you need someone like a Coach Gallant that's going to kind of whip you into shape. Vigneault could be that guy. Is he a long-term solution? Probably not. But for a couple of years, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I think there's been a decent amount of steam to, uh, or smoke, I should say, to Tortorella to Philly, which would be very interesting mm-hmm. to see that whole dynamic. Um, I think he's the favorite, if you go by odds, to get that job now. Um, I haven't really heard much else, though. I like those two two thoughts you had there, Colin. And there's a lot of good job openings. I mean, Red Wings, you got an up-and-coming team that's going to be good for the next for a while in a few years, you got Stevie Wise, your GM, who's going to do everything he can to put a great team in front of you. You got teams like Boston and Vegas with solid rosters. Um, you know, the Flyers, they have their issues, but they have some good pieces as well. The Stars have made some decent runs in the past few years. So I think I think there's a lot of good jobs out there in the NHL. And it's going to be interesting to see where some of these pieces fall. I absolutely agree. Only time will tell what happens in this postseason, in this offseason, about where this mod podge of various coaching staff heads for the following year. 
with that, I think that'll do it for this week of five on three. I hope everyone has a fantastic rest of your day. I hope the Rangers win at home tomorrow. And for Tyler Mooney and Colin Lochran, I am Samantha Bohr saying sayonara and have a great rest of your day. Five on three is a production of WFUV Sports.